Season two of Have You Got Five Minutes is brought to you in partnership with Nextdoor, the neighbourhood app that's used by one in seven households in the UK. This past 18 months, we've all needed to connect a little closer with the communities around us and Nextdoor are working to create a kinder place for people to have a neighbourhood that they can rely on. Tap into your neighbourhood at nextdoor.co.uk or download the app from your app store. I'm Rebecca Roberts. Hi, I'm Harriet Small. Welcome to Have You Got Five Minutes, the PR, comms and marketing podcast answering the things you'd normally have asked about at an event or while making a brew in the office. Hey, Harriet, how are you? I'm not too bad. I'm just counting down the days now to Strictly. I know I'm quite excited. Like my kids are excited about the lineup as well, so that's always good because they'll be mimicking the dances each week. So we're talking about brands we love but never buy and can we trust social media metrics because let's be honest... I mean, I love a Hermes bag, but I'm never in the market to buy one because I don't have a spare few grand lying around, sadly. <laughs> Dispel the myth. Yeah, so this is one I've been thinking about. So I think social media metrics are really hard to look at and then say, so these are the amount of people we've reached and these are the amount of people we engaged. Because actually, did you engage them? Did you really reach them and touch their hearts for them to buy what you were selling? Because liking something is one thing but for me to actually press purchase and pay for it is a completely different thing and it's that thing of outputs versus outcomes yeah it's really interesting and I was looking at like luxury brands when I started researching with this one so you look at Rolls-Royce who famously don't advertise at all it's kind of like if you know you know they probably recognise the fact that no matter how much advertising they're going to do, it's not like something people are going to go, I'm just going to click and buy one of those. But I'd even bring that down to kind of food brands. Like there's certain food brands who I see like the marketing and PR effort that I kind of admire or I think is funny or whatever, but it doesn't mean I necessarily consume it. For example, KFC typically have quite like a funny way with themselves on social media like Aldi are brilliant they're not like I have shopped at Aldi before they're not my current like circuit of stuff I use like supermarkets their stuff around you know when Nando's ran out of chicken and so Aldi went do you want a bulk order hun on social media and it's really funny but that doesn't mean like I'm just going to go well I'm not going to go Lidl and Sainsbury's this week I'm going to detour and do that so I think it's an interesting one like just because you are have a really great social audience that are really engaged and liking your content doesn't necessarily translate Marks and Spencer we've talked about that whole row with the caterpillar the caterpillar cake Marks and Spencer's aren't that amazing on social in the sense of they don't have that humor they probably don't have people that don't shop from them follow them but that doesn't mean that they suddenly have lost all their market share it's just different yeah and I think also is like for example the Lions tour this was on Sky and Now TV, and I liked the content, but I wasn't going to pay ten quid to watch a match from my own living room. Now Amazon Prime, however, is doing the autumn series. Now I will pay seven ninety nine for the month and watch the whole thing. But I liked both of their tweets, and I share and I retweet and I do all that stuff. But will I really? thinking about it one may think oh yeah we reached all these people and you know but that doesn't translate into money in the bank and while I do agree is that sometimes that sharing and that liking and that commenting does help build a brand and does help with brand recognition and it's not just about sales but a lot of these companies are commercial they are there to make money they are there to ultimately sell I think about it with some like makeup and and beauty brands like which who don't cater for certain skin complexion so I don't want to name them but there's a lot of them out there 
who don't cater. But then if you look at their social media following, it's huge. But yet there's probably a huge proportion of people in there who can't even use your brand because you don't have the correct foundation shade for them. Yeah, it's interesting. I think when you're, if you're responsible for an ad budget at all, and obviously you would include digital within that now, we're not in the 1930s, you just got to be really careful about what different platforms kind of promise and what that means in terms of advertising. So I had a really interesting conversation the other day, putting together like a framework for a campaign. And it's about like what you take as a pinch of salt and what actually means something. So yeah, Facebook will always give you this picture because of X, Y, and Z, it's behind the wall and digital metrics you know looked you know too good to be true and and, you know in many cases they are so it's about being aware of where that what that falls down so for example the person I'm speaking to was saying yeah we did this for a client they're like oh we've gone viral on TikTok because of this is like well actually you put 200 pounds about it and that can make it look you've suddenly reached a load more people blah 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 let's have a see how many of those people actually then went and followed you and engaged with more content and it's just those kind of if you can understand that and you don't have to be like a tech whiz it's just trying to unpick and challenge those ads because and I've sat in meetings with media companies and agencies and they've gone yeah we can get like two billion eyeballs on this and it's like all right okay so I don't need two billion students turning up like what does that actually mean like how does that link through to my CRM like my actions and I think if you can tie those actual actions and steps that if you look at a sales funnel that you would have whether you're commercial whether you're public sector you should still have those in mind like what are we getting them to do next how do we test that you know don't just say awareness because when are you fully aware like it's just that journey and I think if you can start measuring that and challenging that ad spend you can start not necessarily trusting your social media metrics but you're starting to get close to that formula which gives you a good idea that something's actually happening rather than just like people are aware there's is noise um because it doesn't really mean as much yeah and I think also is is just being mindful that when you do things it's about trying to close the loop so I know it got a lot of hype but we are bix and baked beans but then how did that actually translate and I know Asda did a little thing where they did a combo but I will like that tweet and I will share it and we'll talk about it because that's our industry but actually I don't buy baked beans and I don't buy Weetabix so you're counting me as one of those eyeballs and one of those people that you reached but I don't buy your thing and then I think about in terms of like there was a thing that Booker T did with Sachi and Sachi around sleep and they called it pillow talks and I absolutely loved it and I actually went out and bought the Booker T I attended the talks learned about sleep and then I actually bought the tea in the supermarket on the shelf so some things do work some things don't work but sometimes you've also got to figure out how do you track that so they will never know that I actually purchased it but I mean Harriet they do listen to the podcast probably so (laughs) the PR booker follows me so yeah they'll probably listen to it and be like oh yeah she bought the tea you've got to figure out how to translate things and connect them along the line it comes back to like behavior science so I think like all those things like for student recruitment student marketing it's like a long decision making journey you don't just go well I'm just gonna apply I mean some people might do but it's there's a lot of sort of steps in that and they might visit your site a few times before they've gone through an official process so like what are the pre-conversation indicators that you can get so with supermarket and food products it's probably quite different it comes down to price you know like Kingsmill changed 
colour of their packaging and then that really affected their sales a little bit because people just automatically they're they're kind of it's just bread they're not necessarily really really brand law they might just go out of habit for one type of bread and then they change the colour and it's like oh hang on a minute and so I think there's a it's like exponential difference I guess when it comes to price and people are more price sensitive for things if they see an offer if you think about like New York bagels and then Kingsmill brought out their bagels which are far better by the way because they're just easier they're pre-sliced and whatever but then are you price sensitive that like if you see one loads cheaper would you go for that so I find that really interesting because there's that element of how you measure it like it is down to price or it is down to color and basic kind of stuff and then it's a lot more if it's a more a decision like a car or you know a university placement that's going to be a longer conversation so you're going to have loads of different touch points so I think the same as public services you know like the teams I've worked with before we've gone oh could you just tell me like how do I get more 18 year olds to sign up to this newsletter it's like why would they what's in it for them and then it's tracking that back like oh because they can do this okay so you're, you're trying to sort of relate what's in it for them into your kind of comms and marketing effort rather than just like we've got these things do them because <laughs> it just it's empty it doesn't mean anything if you just kind of go through that transactional stuff yeah and talking about public services like for us as councils we will have people following us who don't even live in our boroughs and you know Doncaster is amazing on social but even they've admitted that they have people who follow them who don't even know anything about where Doncaster is on a map so it's very difficult to sometimes trust followings and, and, and things like that because you'll have people who follow you, but maybe they're following you because they saw something. Maybe they're following you for research. It's so difficult to tell why people are following you. So even like social media reach in terms of looking at your account and who's engaging with you, it's very, very difficult because if you're a local authority, you want people to do certain things in the area. So for example, you want people to be sort of being mindful about how they use the parks or engaging with consultations and all that kind of thing. But if the people who are following you on social where you're putting the majority of these consultations aren't even in your area, are you getting the right demographic responding to your consultations about public safety in your community or your little village or council so yeah it is very very tricky for us in the public sector on some of these things yeah same as influencers like you can get someone with a massive reach and everyone's like oh it's brilliant numbers but their engagement might be loads lower than someone with a smaller following but a really engaged community so I think it's just thinking about that sometimes when you're particularly when you're presenting to like say senior managers or budget holders like this is what we advise really understanding those metrics not just at face value is important This week, we're joined by Paul Stollery. Paul's a group creative director at Hype Collective and Hard Numbers, the latter one of the industry's fresh agencies on the block founded last year, already winning a host of awards with a real focus on marketing and communications driving ROI in terms of sales. Thanks very much for joining us, Paul. Hello, thank you for having me on. So as an agency, you hang your hat on the notion of hard marketing and comms. I'm guessing you kind of hate the disciplines being seen as fluff and you're pretty open about linking activities to return. Was the agency started out of a frustration of the sector or a bit of a gap in the market? A little bit of both, actually. So prior to Hard Numbers launching, as you mentioned, um, I set up Hard Collective a couple of years ago. And part of our sort of marketing approach for that was essentially, it was a content-driven approach, but it was one that was really focused on generating leads and and essentially meetings with our prospects. And one, you know, basically as, as we grew, uh, we got busier, which meant we wanted to outsource things. And when we looked at outsource the process, we kind of found that there were, we basically wanted an agency that had good creative output, but could also deliver the, uh, the the hard numbers, so it were. And we kind of found two types of agencies. There were the sales agencies whose sort of creative output was 
often lacking, should we say, like, you know, their design output was was pretty poor or you know they, they weren't particularly good at you know working on podcasts or, or video or anything like that or we saw creative agencies who are amazing at that but were a bit too posh to push when it came to actually you know driving leads and driving sales so, so it literally was born out of frustration and then a couple of months after that daryl sperry who wasn't part of the business at the time said he was thinking about uh, sort of striking out on his own and his even though he's coming in at it from a very different angle his sort of vision for what he wanted to launch really overlapped with that the idea of kind of developed a bit from a creative agency that could deliver sales to a sort of pr agency that could deliver sales so yeah quite literally frustrations that we couldn't outsource our stuff and as uh, so we thought uh, maybe there's a gap for it and tell us a little bit about the family because that's like a new look and feel for things that you've just developed isn't it yeah absolutely so as, as i mentioned there's a uh, hype collective which launched back in 2017 and there's hard numbers which launched uh back in 2020 and how the, the sort of the model for how, how that works is that daryl basically joined the company as a as, as a partner and we essentially had the two agencies that were jointly owned by a sort of parent company. And up until we sort of announced the family, we hadn't really talked much about that parent company. So there's always a bit of an awkwardness over there that they're our sister agency and how do you describe the sort of relationship between the two. So we really wanted to, you know, develop a sort of a external facing brand for the parent company. And in terms of its purpose, the more that we spoke about it, the more sort of Daryl, Simon and myself really all agree that, you know, starting our own agencies was the best decision we ever made. And kind of when you think about it, if you want to go out and start your own agency, there's nowhere really that you can go to get funding from. A couple of agencies in the industry have backed other agencies, but really you kind of need to like know a guy there, right? You need kind of already need, need to have that relationship with them. And then when you look at something like tech, there's loads of VC companies, there's loads of sort of, you know, mentoring or, or like accelerators, incubators, all there's this whole ecosystem around helping people set up. And again, sort of going back to gaps in the market, we, we, we kind of thought, well, maybe that's what the sort of parent company can stand for, kind of what it allowed Daryl, Simon and myself to do, allow others across the industry as well. And Daryl, despite being a salesman by trade, despite the fact that I'm a creative, came up with a fantastic name, The Family, and, and that's what it was, it was called. You talk about using plain English and really talking in a way that sales teams will love and get excited about. Do you think the industry needs to do a better job of this more broadly, both in-house and agencies? Yes, yeah. It's, it's actually one of my sort of biggest gripes with PR is that we never seem to be able to agree in, in very simple terms what we do. In my opinion, it's very simple. It's, it's getting people to say nice things about your brand or your company without paying them to do so. But when you ask a typical PR, you know, what is PR? There's, you know, you'll, you'll get definitions around sort of strategic insights or, you know, authentic creativity or, or, or all these things. And I think people, particularly in agency land, tend to forget that very often the key decision maker in PR isn't a PR. It's a CMO or a head of growth or a founder or an investor. When you start talking about things in those sorts of terms, ultimately they're just going to switch off because they've got their objectives that are either set by themselves, their investors or, or, or their bosses. And when you start talking in these wishy-washy phrases, they just never really land or resonate. So yes, yeah, certainly I do. And it, just as a sort of side as well, I, I started my career working in SEO. And I think there's a great irony that the public relations and communications as an industry struggles to communicate what it does. Whereas in SEO, no one argues what SEO means. In PPC, no one argues what PPC means. Even in advertising, nobody really argues about what advertising is. But for some reason, we as comms professionals, maybe it's just because we love to talk about what we do and love to define things, but 
but yeah certainly is a gripe of mine we certainly know how to award ourselves though some some good ones out there <laughs> i love an award you know you've had your fair bit of success which is really cool for like just like quite a new company as well so it's nice seeding well look vanity metrics kind of too t- good to be true digital metrics have warped some people's view of what effective pr digital marketing looks like maybe they just like advertising value equivalent or it just sounds good so they're going to use it a bit more but how do we kind of ignore some of that and focus on the metrics that really matter yeah, I mean, I, I always feel like the PR industry treats AVE like some sort of boogie monster, right? The second anyone says it, you've got a load of people in the PR echo chamber just, you know, almost acting like advertising has declared war on, on, on the PR industry. It's the award entries. They go, if you use AVE, you'll be thrown out and torched. <laughs> so aggressive. It, that's the thing. I mean, like, to be fair, so many PR industry awards now, at least the best ones, ban it. So I always feel like we, we, we talk a lot about AVE, and yes, there are still advertising agencies that use it, but ultimately it's to their own detriment. I, I always actually feel that the industry is, is quite hypocritical around AVE. Like it, it's a bullshit metric, don't get me wrong, but for every person who complains on Twitter about the use of things like AVE, I bet they use you know metrics like combined reach in their award entries. And ultimately, that is just a sort of vague and wishy-washy metric as AVE is. You know, taking the fact that X million people visit TechCrunch's homepage every day and trying to imply that that means that that many people have read your article is actually in a subsection, a subsection, a subsection is just as bad as AVE or, or possibly worse. It's the one when they say, we want what do you want to do this campaign? They go, we want awareness. I was like, how are you going to measure? When do we become aware? Like, I get it, but also I just think it's something people just use these terms, don't they? And they don't really understand what what that good metric. And then that, I think that's why I'm really interested in this whole idea of ROI because people don't tend to go for it. Like, what metrics would you say like are important then? Yeah, hundred percent. Like on reach, I remember a few years ago I worked on a campaign where we reported the reach of it was ten billion, which you know it, that's what kind of came out of the thing. It's like, but ultimately you've got to start with why am I doing this? Like the, the key thing is don't wait until the end to measure. And I think that's something that so many agency and PR professionals do. They'll do a campaign, they'll be like, what are we reporting on? We've got to report on you know key success things. Whereas in reality, you need to go back to the start and say why are we doing this? And then even if it isn't really broad and vague like um, awareness you can do things like if you don't have a huge amount of budget you can do things like share research see how many people are searching for your brand or your client's brand versus that of competitors or equally you can do you know if you've got a you know bit or a fair, fair bit more budget you can do things like unprompted recall but ultimately that is starting with a sort of a strategic priority of saying more people need to know who my client's brand is because xyz reasons either they'll come and they'll buy or they'll be less likely to drop out the funnel as they're going through it but ultimately it's yeah it's, it's going back to, to the start of why you're doing it at hard numbers in, in b2b it is a little bit easier because you have a more targeted sort of audience so it's actually easier to see and, and you generally have fewer activities as well it's actually easier to see people going through the funnel because of your activity we specialize ultimately in PR briefs where the company, normally a tech company or a startup, has said sales or or leads as their core focus. So for us, it's really easy. It's leads or sales and either linking it directly to what we're doing or looking at the trends over, you know, a longer period. I see whether there's any uptick since we started uh, working together. Do you think there's a a nervousness from agencies at being direct about their efforts to link to return on investment? Yes, yeah, I, I, I certainly think there are. I think I remember, I always remember a friend of mine that I used to work with, really bright guy, really like you know, you know, knows his PR, and he always used to joke. I hope they never figure out how to measure it. 
otherwise we'll all be out of a job. And, and I, it was a joke, I think, at least. But, you know, of course, of course, there are a lot of agencies out there because I think there are a lot of agencies out there who don't actually who don't actually believe that what they're doing is driving impact or at least don't know what impact it is driving. I think a lot of PR agencies are nervous about measuring the impact of their communications campaigns for the same reason that I'm nervous looking at a bank balance at the end of the month. You're kind of worried that the number's going to come out and it's going to say zero and then you've got nowhere to hide. Yeah, which I think is also a challenge for us in internal comms because people are like, but if I measure and show them that nobody's reading the staff emails and no one's signing up for the events, then it shows that I'm not doing a good enough job to have impact. So yeah, I think it's both internally and externally, people are scared of, of measurement quite a fair bit. What advice would you give practitioners wanting to improve the effectiveness of their campaigns? higher hard numbers obviously but more broadly should they be clearer and more confident about return on investment yeah absolutely i feel other than not waiting until the end which which i mentioned earlier i think the other sort of key or common mistake that we see people making when it comes to measurement is almost overthinking it don't overthink it often people will ask us so you know, hard numbers, you call hard numbers, you know, you're big on measurement on your website. How is it you guys measure the effectiveness of PR? And yes, well, I like to think we're very good at it. Ultimately, our, one of our core principles is keeping it simple. If we can track the impact of what we're doing, and we can see it trickling through to leads generated on the website, that's what we'll do. It'll be very simple. How many leads generated comes from the activity, comes from the channels of which we're in charge of. If it's other things around sales, then again, it, it might be that simpler metric or, or, or it might be something around feedback from the sales team in terms of seeing coverage that we've secured. But yeah, ultimately, as I said, don't wait until the end. Because if you if you do start knowing why you're doing it, then actually the metric is often quite simple. And then, yeah, going back to the earlier questions, I think you just kind of got to back yourself and actually do it. And we can't let you go without obviously pitching you our business idea because you've just launched a really interesting thing for an agency, a sort of funding part that you're going to open up to staff who've kind of worked with you for like a few years, right, to sort of set up their own agency. That felt really fresh. And I guess for a lot of agencies, they get quite protective about competitors and staff going on to do stuff. But tell us a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we really wanted, well, couple of things firstly in terms of staff attraction we really want to sort of plan our you know flat on the ground as, as being the best agency to work for for any entrepreneurial minded pr or, or sort of more broadly marketing professional out there and we really looked at you know last couple of years daryl Simon, and myself you know we always think that the best decision we made was to actually launch you know strike out on our own and, and actually start up our own agencies but ultimately it's very difficult to do that. I've, I've wanted to do that since, since I graduated. And, and the thing that stopped me was, you know, things like, are you going to be able to afford to pay the mortgage or, or pay rent? You know, how are you going to be able to afford to eat? It's all these little things. Am I going to end up leeching off my partner? And there's, there's, there was always those sort of things that was holding us back. And the way we see it is, why not actually just be grown up with yourself? Like normally anywhere else, if you want to start your own agency, you, you kind of have to plan away in secret and then hand in your notice and then go and launch on LinkedIn the following week. And we don't want to do that. We, we don't want to start standing our staff's way when it comes to starting up on their own. We, we want to help them. And so, yeah, so that, that, that's essentially the, you know, what the policy is. It's called Staff Seed. Terms are very simple. Work for us for four years and then you can pitch us for up to £100,000 of funding for your own agency. And yeah, we're really hoping that in 5, 10, 15 years, there'll be plenty more agencies launched from people who are leaving either Hard Numbers or Hype Collective. And that will obviously help help them set up on their own but also it will expand our portfolio as we go as well 
Thanks for joining us. And everything we've mentioned will be in the show notes. We're talking about the questions and issues that matter to you. So DM us on social or get in touch with Harriet at commsovercoffee.com or myself, Rebecca, at threadandfable.com. If you enjoy the podcast, please do rate, review, subscribe so others can find us and have five minutes with us. Find us on Twitter at RebeccaRoberts7 or at Harriet Smalzy. Season two of Have You Got Five Minutes is brought to you in partnership with Nextdoor, the neighbourhood app that's used by one in seven households in the UK. This past 18 months, we've all needed to connect a little closer with the communities around us and Nextdoor are working to create a kinder place for people to have a neighbourhood that they can rely on. Tap into your neighbourhood at nextdoor.co.uk or download the app from your app store.